when you can elevate not only your dialect and your and your verbiage and your conversation and the language that you use, you can articulate your value in their language. That's where you don't just get invited into the room and get your little seat at the table and ask to take notes as the HR person. You really have the credibility, not just the opportunity, but the expectation to work at the level of your peer executives. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Googleization Nation, and to and thanks for listening to the Geek Skeezers and Googleization Show. We are in mid-July, and we are, if you're in business, you're experiencing one of the most difficult labor markets in history. I've mentioned this before. 21 years ago, I wrote about, first started to speak about it, I didn't write about it yet, but I, I wrote, I started to speak about the perfect labor storm, and we were in a similar time where there were far more job job openings than there were people. We were just at the beginning of the trend. At that point, Gen X was the youngest generation really in the workforce. Millennials were just starting to enter that, but uh, Gen X was there. We had challenges because there were many more baby boomers than Gen X, so we had all these jobs being created. We, didn't, we just didn't have enough people to fill those jobs. But what was clearly developing was a lack of skills, skilled labor, skills that people needed. The low skilled jobs were fading away and we anticipated by 2020, 2030, what was gonna happen, and here we are in 2021. And and thanks to the pandemic, things got accelerated. The shortages got accelerated. The skills became more advanced. And if you're listening to this, you're, you're probably in business. You're either a job seeker or a job hirer and an employer, and, and just everybody's struggling. People, job seekers, candidates, workers are on the move. Some are struggling to find jobs because they're in the wrong area. There's jobs available, but they don't live in the places where those jobs are. Other people just don't have the right skills. Uh, and lawyers are, are experiencing a lot of movement and a lot of difficulty. And we're going to be talking a little bit, a lot more about that in the second segment. So please stay tuned. There's two new webinars that I just introduced. Uh, one's at the end of July, one's in the middle of August. We'll, we'll, we'll be, I'll be showing you how to uh, register for those. One's about recruitment, one's about adaptability. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to be there. I want to uh, thank, yesterday it was on Tune In Tuesdays, show you how to be able to listen to the replay if you're a member of SHRM. Uh, it's not public, but but I was interviewed on my SHRM, S-H-R-M, Society of Human Resource Management, because I'll be speaking out at the annual conference in September. And I'll also be speaking at SHRM Talent, in which is specifically for talent acquisition and recruiters, in August at SHRM and a few other events. We'll be talking about that in a little a little bit more. I'll show you how to get the replay on that. I want to thank uh, Ingomo 
for being our sponsor today. The Ingomo app, if you're using a, a, an Android device, it's not available yet on iPhone, but they have a hundred coaches, almost a hundred coaches in almost every discipline, every interest. So if you're looking for a coach, check out Ingomo. We'll hear a little bit more about them at the break. And also thanks to uh, Success Performance Solutions for sponsoring the show. And you'll hear from them as well. Today, I'm really excited about getting uh, having our guest today, I met digitally met Lisa Garn just a few weeks ago on one of our job partners, JobSync. They host a roundtable. I'm an active participant in that. I highly encourage anyone that's looking at very innovative, creative, creative approaches, new strategies to check out JobSync's roundtable. It's every Thursday at 11 p.m. or 11 a.m. Sorry, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, you can go to JobSync. It's J O B S. Y and C. Check out their website and you go under, I believe it's resources, and then you can click on roundtable right at the top. It's free and there's a Zoom meeting every week. And uh, great, great, great presenters, very interesting people, a lot of thought leaders in HR tech and HR and recruitment and, and also economic trends. And I met uh, a list a few weeks ago and I thought she had one of the most creative innovative approaches to, she calls it monetizing HR. I know there's been a lot of talk about HR in the past, struggling to get recognition, and it's also been always identified as, as an expense. We've talked about that with human capital management, with Salon Shara. We've had a few other guests that have been, that we've talked about turning uh, human resources not from an expense into an asset and adding, giving it real value. And, but Alyssa had really, really creative approach to that and, and just great overall outlook for HR. So I was excited to bring her on. And without it further ado, we're going to introduce you to Alyssa and we're going to have another interesting Geek Skeezers Googleization conversation. And there she is all the way from Salt Lake City. Beautiful Salt Lake City, not to correct you, but beautiful Salt Lake City. For sure. For sure. It's been a while since I, I've been back there. I'm not sure this week I want to be back there. I think you said it was 108 degrees. Yeah. Still yeah. beautiful. Just don't go outside. Yeah. So it's beautiful to look at. And you're bucking the trend. So you moved into a new office, your company that you work with, GBS Benefits, I believe, moving into new corporate offices. So you're going going against the hybrid. Everybody said right before the show, everybody wanted to get back to work. We, um, we're pretty excited to be in, which is, it explains the poor lighting and why my artwork is on the floor behind me. I promise I'm usually much more polished and put together than this. <laughs> it's the world we live in, you know, it's the, next right. wave, it's the next waves of normal. So again, there are our businesses out there. I get that asked, you know, I probably do an interview or two a day and asked continually, what do you think about a hybrid? Where is that going to fall? And as I said, there's there's two extremes. There's hybrid and there's there's on-site and, there, and there's remote. And if you if you have a scale of a one to a hundred and one is on site and a hundred is remote, there's ninety eight de- degrees of what hybrid is going to look like in between, and it's it's still evolving. It's going to evolve for years to come. That's, so that's my take. But and by the way, thank goodness. Like yeah. I'm sorry that it took a pandemic to show everybody the mirror that it's going to be okay. But if there's one good thing that came out of the pandemic, it's it's proving to companies that business can still get done in a hybrid or a remote environment. So that'll work. So I guess the question is, I mean, real quickly, because I want to get on to what we want to talk about, because I think that was it was just incredible. It was like, wow, what a great idea, fresh way to to look at HR. Are you required? I mean, so you have a corporate office. This is, you're going to set up your physical office, but you can. Are you going to be able to work remote a few days a week, or is there a requirement that way? Our, our business is a lot of client face-to-face for the majority of our employees, but 
we offer flexibility like a lot of other organizations are right now. I think it'll over time probably err on more flexibility as we go along. Before right now, you know, we set we did a great communication plan months in advance to let employees know when we were moving into the building, when there was an expectation for different teams to a different cadence. Like it wasn't just as of this date, everybody's back. It was very gradual and we were able to introduce it where people, there are a sampling, probably less than 10% of our employees that for various reasons, some of them are already remote pre-pandemic, but some of them have also had life challenges, have one employee that's still struggling with some of the impacts of COVID that she was that she contracted during the pandemic. We have other people that have childcare challenges that they're working through. So again, I can't say that my company is the norm, but at least for us where we are in our economy, it's it's pretty common, at least in Utah, that many companies are starting to get back into the office. But there's still there's still a lot of resistance to that remote work. So we'll we'll see how it pans out for the employers that aren't willing to offer it. <laughs> yeah, I saw a quote this morning and it, and it didn't have anything to do with normal, but I just switched the words. I can't remember what the word was, but they said whatever it was was not a thing. And I said normal is not a thing. It's a verb. And and that's Ooh, I like that. And and, and it'll go <laughs> We're forward. not in noun territory, we're in verb territory. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It is as everybody thought normal was the static, but normal was different for everybody before. It's going to be different from everybody in the future and it's going to continue to evolve. So I like I like the fact normal is not a thing, it's a it's a verb. Yeah. Speaking of that, HR shouldn't be a thing, it should be a verb, you know, for sure. It's evolving. You talk about you just had a great and we'll segue into that. You had a great experiment, I guess, if you will, of how HR can be an asset, not a liability or an expense. Yeah, line items, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about that a little bit because we've been, you know, I've been in the business, this is my 26th year in this business, but even prior to that, I came into it 26 years ago, you know, Headline, how, how do we get to the table? How does HR get a seat at the table? And then most companies that got a seat at the table and then they didn't have a voice. And in many companies, they still don't have a voice. They're there almost because the companies checked off the box and said, we gave you, now we got your title, you're sitting at the table, but just don't say anything that's too disruptive. Just, just agree with it. should be seen, not heard. Yeah, exactly. You, you just had this great, you know, other approach. It's, it's not gonna be for everybody. For sure. But let's talk about what, you know, the model that you built and let's see where where it goes. There's two examples that I share with this because my whole life's work, what I care about now and trying to evangelize this whole human experience and better workplaces and all of that really comes from the credibility of HR, our roles, our profession. And like you said, that proverbial seat at the table. But I'll start with, I speak a lot in metaphors and analogies, so bear with me on this. I feel oh, like yeah, I, in the I, Bible, like, I, should, I should have my own little chapter in the Bible because I speak so much in parables. <laughs> so my son, who's nine, we were having family dinner the other night. And usually what he says just kind of flies over my husband and I's head. Like he just, he talks about nine-year-old stuff and, you know, it's whatever's going on in his world. And most of it's gibberish. And he tries to tell us jokes and they're often not funny. But the other night we were having a conversation and my husband and I had been talking about something that was pretty adult-like, you know, kind of big picture things that were happening in, in our neighborhood. And my son all of a sudden interjected and had a really interesting addition to the conversation that was at a level well above a nine-year-old. And this moment, like I remember my husband and I looking at each other 
and then looking at my son and it totally got our attention. We were listening to everything he had to say, like, tell us more about that. Like, that's so interesting. Where did you even hear that? How do you even know that, that verbiage? So I share that because I think this happens sometimes in business where you have the C-suite that's having their conversation at the table. And every once in a while, you get an HR person that can interject and start speaking in the dialect and the language of that C-suite. And it gets the attention of those executives because they're not used to HR being able to talk that language. They sort of see them as the kid at the table, like, oh, aren't they cute? They plan fun parties. They're wonderful at what they do, aren't they? We sure love them. But really, like when you can elevate not only your dialect and your and your verbiage and your conversation and the language that you use, you can articulate your value in their language. That's where you don't just get invited into the room and get your little seat at the table and ask to take notes as the HR person. You really have the credibility, not just the opportunity, but the expectation to work at the level of your peer executives. So anyway, like I preface all of that because this is my life's work. This is what I care the most about is helping HR professionals understand how to speak in the dialect of executives, but also teaching executives how to, how to understand the dialect of HR professionals. They want the same thing. They just don't know how to talk to each other. So two ways that I've, that I've worked on this, which what you heard when I was able to present on the presentation a few, a few weeks ago, I'm a big experimenter. I like to try things and see what happens. <laughs> I don't care if it's fully fleshed out. I get crazy ideas in the middle of the night and then wake up the next morning like, hey, let's see if that works. I don't know. Let's give it a try. Yeah. yeah so one of them was this, this idea of how much time my recruiting team was spending. Now, I was an external consultant on this one, but when I was looking at how much money my this recruiting team between their salaries and wages and all of the candidates that they were placing versus those that they were vetting that were qualified but not selected. My mind was going bonkers. Like we're losing all of these pre-qualified candidates that we'll probably see again in six to eight months when we have another hiring influx and hopefully we've stayed in touch with. But in the meantime, these are great candidates that we just don't have enough positions for. How can we capitalize on being able to monetize that? There's got to be a way that we can make money here. And I had come from a recruiting agency background, so I knew how those were structured. I know that there's a lot of money in recruiting, a lot of money, especially if you're a good recruiter. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to take advantage of that. You know, I didn't want to exploit recruiting fees and and turn our, our business, you know, our corporate recruiting into that. But what I did recognize is we had, these were, a lot of them were entry level positions, a lot of customer service, ones that the skills would be applicable and transferable to many of our competitors within, within the region and not direct competitors in terms of we sell the same product, but competitors in terms of talent competition. Yeah, that's a huge problem today. Everybody's looking within, you know, who has experience. And, and the fact is, is you not only do you have to look outside those industries, but everybody's competing for the same talent pool. Mm-hmm. And in some regions right now in Salt Lake City, we we can't get people to show up for interviews. I mean, if you show up to an interview, your chance of getting an offer just skyrocketed about 200%. <laughs> so in different regions, I know that it's a different story. You know, there's there's an influx of candidates that are applying for jobs and they're just not getting hired. And you shared some of that in, in your beginning presentation when you were doing the introduction. So this particular model, you know, maybe for where the economy is right now is not totally there. But the magic of what we've built was for one, scalability. 
I mean, you could take this and you could replicate it in a business that does very minimal hiring, but you could also scale it on, you know, potentially a much larger business that has hundreds of thousands of candidates and applications coming through with a broader talent team. The the investment is the time and energy to build out the process and then following it through and making sure that you're paying attention to the candidate experience so you're not damaging your reputation or those that opt in to participate in the program. But essentially what we did is we said, look, we know that these are our qualifications based on our job descriptions, our job ads, the candidates that come in, our values. And we went and talked to some of these other talent competitors of ours in the market and said, look, we you're interviewing a lot of the same people we are. And these we're putting the candidates through several interviews, too. You know, they're going in for four or five interviews and dragging out their own talent process for four to five to six weeks waiting for an offer. What if we could narrow that down for them so they get offers more quickly also take on some of that or take away some of that time and fill and time to hire like get our metrics down if we can share you know share our notes and talk about we met these people they're great here's their skill set this is their comp that they're looking for do you want to hire them and we basically built a co-op of talent where with these three partnering companies that were participating we're able to share candidates that one company would vet them based on their criteria and we had a shared template of these are the baseline if you're going to share it with the other the others in the co-op you know these are the things that they need to require and whoever placed the candidate from the original recruiting agency or company just paid a 500 referral for each one that was paid so the money that we were able to make as a company within six months of implementing this pilot program paid for the entire salary of our, our talent team that got the attention of the c-suite because all of a sudden they're like, where is this money coming from? Five, I'm also a forgiveness, not a permission person. So I did not ask anybody for permission to do this, which in retrospect as an HR professional is probably why I'm not a practicing HR professional right now. But it's proved the point that sometimes you have to take a risk. And I'm not talking like legal risk, put your company in jeopardy, do crazy stuff kind of risk. Business model and, risk. Exactly. Evaluate what's the ROI here? Could there be some potential? What's the fallout? And in our case, it was it was really successful. We built stronger relationships with these other companies in our community. They don't know exactly how it fleshed out after I left because again, this was a consulting gig, but I think that it grew. They were able to bring in some other companies. There's still some of them that are participating in it today on a smaller scale. And I think they've pulled back on that 500. I think they only do 100 now because it's so hard to find talent. But it's success that came out of it. Yes, there's monetization, but there was so much collateral benefit that not only did it help our brand, our employer brand, our reputation as a hiring agency, it improved the candidate experience. It cut costs on our talent team. They were happier. They managed a desk of over 40 recs because of this program, which is insane as a recruiter. So again, it was there was a lot of success. And it doesn't mean that we didn't have some struggles. We didn't get everything right. I can't say that it was a perfect program. Primarily, like one of the things that we hadn't totally figured out, because I'm not a details person, was how are we going to manage the money? <laughs> Do we invoice companies? You know, how does that all work out? We did figure it out eventually. But the point is, it was less about, hey, let's get everything figured out and have all of the perfection. This is exactly how it's work going to work. We just launched it figured out as we went along what we needed to iterate and, and adapt and, and improve and ended up with a really great program that got the HR team in front of the CEO 
who then was able to talk about investing additional budget to the HR team the following year of some of the initiatives that they had been trying to push for years, weren't able to get that support. So that was one thing. And then I'll pause there before I share the other thing, because it's not as exciting, but it's still it's still one way to kind of rethink HR. But uh, <laughs> what, any comments or questions that you have on that? Yeah, there, there's a ton. Well, certainly, I mean, as I heard, I mean, the end point is it it didn't only help bring in some, you know, justify, well, change the culture of HR, get the get get the voice heard. I mean, so you produced a different business model, got recognition from the team, which, which can go a long way. It's not just that's a good idea. Let's take that and then we'll move on because, you know, next time it may be what other ideas do you have. You know, how, how can we utilize that? And, you know, ultimately it's it's establishing credibility, you know, for HR. There's certainly companies that may push back that you didn't ask permission, but the reality is it worked. And they allow that to happen in sales and operations all the time. And, but HR sort of becomes this bureaucracy, compliance, regulatory mess. I just read a really, really interesting term and they called it organizational rot and organizational dry rot. And, you know, it was about how bureaucracy, regulations and compliance just eat away at the fabric of a company mm-hmm. until it's too late. It's like, why did the roof, you know, why did it cave in? Why did, why did the porch fall? Why, why did my foot go through the floor? And somebody says, oh, you have dry rot. You know, it, it's happened for years. You just didn't know it. So, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, again, when you get buried by bureaucracy, compliance and regulations, um, eventually it caves in. And uh, so this is a real opportunity. What I loved about it was an opportunity. I've suggested this since, you know, it was a month ago that uh, I think you, you were on the round table, maybe, maybe even longer, time flies. But a couple of conversations is what can we do differently? Do you have any suggestions? Where do you source? And, you know, one of the areas that people continue don't accept is that when you recruit, whether you get 10 applications or a thousand applications, you usually only hire one person for that job. And what happens to all the rest? And a lot of companies just restart the wheel every time. They just go back to the drawing board. We got a new rec. Let's start the ad rather than going back to the the current people. So one is creating a talent pool within your company. But what a great resource to work with some. I love the term co-op. You know, create a co-op with other businesses in your industry with remote work, they don't even have to be in the same locale. It could be anywhere and then and share, you know, obviously there's a level of confidentiality. There's got to be a lot of trust because everybody is competing for this talent. But it's really an innovative approach. And, and again, I've shared it multiple times. You know, good. Yeah. Being good so, is getting out in the world. It's rippling out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You mentioned one of, the, you know, one of the mistakes was, you know, a do-over is like, oops, you know, we can charge for it, but we forgot the invoice. Was there another strategic or, or is there something else if you had to do it again? If you, you know, if somebody called you up today and said, hey, can you help us implement this? What would you do differently? Knowing what I know now, I've had a lot more experience since then on building out journey maps and understanding critical touch points and more of the strategic design of how a program like this worked. I mean, it was it was good enough at the time because I had recruiting and agency experience to be able to formulate more of the business model of it. But in thinking through the the impact of my team, you know, the hiring and talent team and that of the candidates, as well as our co-ops, I do wish that we would have mapped that out just a little bit more to better understand, like, again, those critical touch points of if this particular piece goes wrong, how do, you know, how do we bring it back 
to to the path that we want. I just I really didn't have exposure to that back then. And I think since I could see the value of how that would have helped a lot of those little bumps early on to give us a better outcome in the long run. Today's environment, though, you, you know, for companies that say, well, let's we're going to let's plan it out and make sure it's perfect before we launch it will never happen. Oh, you know, and I we started on design thinking concepts. Like once I learned about agile versus waterfall, which for your audience, if you don't know those two terms, agile, waterfall, Google them. HR is notorious for waterfall. We want everything to be perfect and lined up and know exactly all the things that could possibly go wrong before we tend to make a move. And it kills us. It kills us in our profession. It kills us in our business. It kills our credibility. And it absolutely kills us from staying relevant because we wait so long to make sure that things are perfect that by the time we roll things out, people have moved on. Like there's Talk something else. Fixed to- mindset, right? Fixed versus growth mindset, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Got a few minutes left and, and you quickly share your second story. And then I also wanted you to, to kind of just introduce the idea, what the three personas of HR are. Sure. Yeah, I'll be brief. So the two other things that I was going to share, which kind of correlate t- together, is if you run an HR department or a talent team and you don't have your own P&L statement, your profit and loss statement for your department, please invest in one, even if it's not something that you give to your CFO or something that they're holding you accountable to. I can promise you that this is going to give you language and and the ability to go into your CEO when you need to be able to talk about your value. Most CEOs do not understand what HR does other than like the 12 days that they get in their MBA program. Like it's it's payroll benefits. Keep me from getting sued. That's their expectation. We know we do a lot more than that, but they do not. The other thing that I was going to share is if, you know, when you're looking at like a boomerang candidate strategy or keeping, keeping candidates warm and engaged, that, that really gets more into proactive recruiting, more of a headhunting and talent sourcing, keeping those people engaged. GM has a really great program that they rolled out roughly 14 years ago, which was the other example that I shared on uh, on that conversation a few weeks ago, which you guys want to connect with me after I'd be happy to give you more details about it. It's a really, really cool program from a, we want to hoard the talent, but we have to wait for the timing and these positions are opening. You know, how do you keep that talent warm? So if anybody wants more information on that, then, then I can share it separately. But the personas, I know that this is something that I talk about a lot when I do these public presentations, because I'm telling you, like, it's changing the world. Like I, I've seen so much impact and I love it, but I like to use again, metaphors and and speak in parables. So I use the metaphor of a city and the three different personas, primary personas that I talk about are traffic cops, city planners, and mayors. So your traffic cop HR people, highly reactive, very policy driven. They're blowing their whistle in the thick of the drama all the time. These are usually your generalists, your office managers. They are doing everything, but they're so busy reacting to the needs of the business that they don't have time to pause and look at the strategy. So mindset, they're usually a bit more analytical, a bit more logical, but I've also met some that are really creative. You know, they have the candy jar on the desk and they love to plan the parties. It's not that they're not valued in the company, but their value tends to be very subservient. They're almost always asked to take notes in meetings. It's not so much the parallel we would consider strategic, innovative, progressive HR. It's sort of like the nitty gritty, dirty, necessary of HR, payroll benefits, compliance, those type of things. So city planner HR is usually head of. 
It could be a CFO, it could be a CHRO, it could be a director of VP. These are usually those that are responsible for the HR department, but typically have higher education, whether that's a bachelor's, master's degree, could be an MHR. They are more focused on outcome business goals and alignment. So they're typically thinking several, you know, two to five years down the road. They're usually very entrenched in the organizational development design and almost always have budget responsibility. They tend to be somewhat disconnected from the pulse, what's happening with employees and, you know, kind of ground level engagement with employees and, and the population. It's not that they don't care about it. It's just their focus and their mindset and their scope of responsibility is different than that of a traffic cop who's, you know, kind of in the mix of all of that day to day. The third one, which is the mayor, this one is more what I would say is new to the profession in the last decade. These tend to be more of your extroverts. They're almost always in recruiting or have an element of employer branding as part of their responsibility. They're good at promoting very likable, outgoing individuals that are usually extroverts, but they don't necessarily have a tie to a certain type of role. It's more of their approach to how they view the HR function in the business. They tend to be more focused on things like employee experience, how that benefits the organization. And so they're looking at it through a lens of, yes, it's business and it's strategy, but they're doing it through a human element rather than a business black and white element. So as I've shared these, what's interesting when I when I have this conversation, especially with CEOs, and I ask them, what's the priority in your business today based on those three you know, levels of value? They always tell me the same thing. It's like, well, I, I want all three. Right. Great. We'll hire three people because right. <laughs> expecting exactly. one person to do that is likely. But as we get a little bit more and we dig into that, it creates, again, this shared language. Now they're talking to me in the same parables and they're asking questions and they're engaging in the dialogue of they're starting to understand where they don't need to know your daily task list of all the things that you did, like your I-9 audits and your FMLA paperwork. Don't go in talking to them about that. But if they can understand that your role is highly reactive to the needs of the employees and organizations, let's say, for example, you want to be a city planner, but you're a traffic cop. If you can go in and explain it in this language and say, I think there's a lot of value to outsourcing some of these traffic cop responsibilities to, say, a PEO, for example, because then raise my time up to be able to engage more at the strategic level, which is where I want to go with my career anyway. Now you guys have verbiage to use with each other that gets you on the same page, talking about business outcomes in the language of the C-suite, but is also an opportunity for you to represent the work that you're doing in a way that is going to be understood by the audience instead of just sounding like a whiny broken record of I want a seat at the executive table because gosh darn it, I deserve it. Because you don't. You don't deserve it until you've earned it. So that's the basics of it. And there's there's obviously a lot more that goes into that, but I at least wanted to share that's been really successful for many of the individuals that I've coached and definitely the C-suite as I've spoken to those groups as well to just just help elevate that HR in profession as well as responsibility. It's all about the story, storytelling. And we talk about that all the time. And as far as job recruitment is tell, you know, tell the story of the company, tell the story of the job. Um, you know, if I heard this years ago, and somebody said, if the job could talk, what would it say? Oh. You know, if the company could talk, what would it say? And, uh, you know, it, it stuck with me and, oh, and it, changed, it, it changed my approach. So you've done it. If HR could talk, what, would, what, what should it say? Right. 
So what, if, what's the story? If the CEO's listening, what should HR say? <laughs> sure. This went incredibly fast, Alyssa. It, it did. Was fun. And I, kn I knew it would. And we covered a lot of territory. You mentioned if people wanted to reach out to you, get in touch with you, obviously, we're displaying your, your website, Alyssa dot garn.com i love you go to the front page I, I love that image work shouldn't suck it's a rock everybody a sneak peek is i know you're active on there it is so that's and so true it shouldn't have to you're active on linkedin as well so people can reach yeah, out and linkedin is my love language like it's great if you want to go to my website and see the fact that i still have a whole bunch of latin jambalaya on there but <laughs> if you get me on linkedin i'm there hours and hours a day and i promise i'll respond to you it is my love language so <laughs> and it's easy you can find me just with my name there and as far as i know i'm the only elisa garn on linkedin so far yeah that's amazing there's a couple i'm actually friends with two other ira wolves which is not no, that common. <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing. There are people reached out to me. Same name. Please stay cool. Stay safe. Really appreciate you being here. It's great to meet. And sure, we will continue to uh, be in touch and uh, continue the flow of your messaging. Love your stories. Keep those parables coming. Thank you, Ira. So great to meet you. And thanks to your audience for tuning in. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks, Alyssa. Yep. Bye-bye. Another great conversation and so valuable. There are so many great ideas. My head's, my head's swimming. I hope yours is too. There's things that you could uh, bring to the table. Raise your credibility. Change your organization. Turn HR from a liability and expense into an asset and, you know, more than just a line item. We're going to take a quick break. We will be we're going to hear from Ingomu, our sponsor, and Success Performance Solutions. We will be right back. We stay tuned. We're going to talk a little bit about some recruitment tips for recruiting in the age of Googleization. What's happening? What are some of the workforce trends? Imagine growing great employees and advancing emerging leaders for less than a dollar a day. The Ingomu app will support your employees in a myriad of ways, from career and personal development to health and wellness. No need to schedule and hold training. Just have them access over 90 coaches for live virtual group and one-on-one -on -one coaching for whatever topic they need or want to work on. Anytime, anywhere. Learn more at Ingomu.com today. Hiring top talent shouldn't be left up to the roll of the dice. And yet, that's exactly what many organizations do. They roll the dice, cross their fingers, and pray for a better outcome. Hiring the right employees the first time is much too important and way too costly to leave to a game of chance. Your employees and your customers deserve better. For 25 years, Success Performance Solution has been helping small and medium-sized businesses hire smarter. They offer pre-employment and leadership assessments from typing and data entry to C-suite competence. Whether it's production, sales, healthcare, call centers, or management, Success Performance Solutions can help. Visit their website at www.successperformancesolutions.com to schedule a free demo or call 800-803-4303. Welcome back everyone to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. If you're just tuning in and you missed our first segment, Please watch the replay. Check out Alyssa Garn from uh, GBS Benefits. And also, she's, she's got 20 years of experience in recruitment. It came up with the incredible idea of having a talent co-op with other companies. You'll hear about that. And also talking about the three personas 
of HR. You'll be able to, to learn what they are and how you can employ them to raise the credibility of HR. Again, many organizations, many, many HR professionals have finally got that seat at the table. How do you get the voice? How do you recognize as a valuable member of the team and really help transform your organization? And speaking of transforming organization, HR is really confronting one of the most challenging times in history. We've been talking about a long time, perfect labor storm, which I've been talking about for 21 years, has arrived. And just right before the show, uh, I was watching, I was listening to a new update and I wanted to share some of those. I want to thank uh, Snagajob, where they came from. You can check out the their video if anybody wants the link to the video, about 10 minutes or so, a summary, recent update from uh, June of where hiring is. Please reach out to me. I'd be happy to uh, to share that, uh, to give you that link, but I'm going to give you the, uh, the short story, the summary here. One of the things that's happened also over the last few weeks is everybody wanted to go back to normal, get back to that normal, is that every day I, I probably get 10 to 20 different headlines, whether they come from articles or my Google alerts, about different trends. And Roxy, if you can put up that one slide that has the headlines on that, it was slide one or slide two, but there we go. You know, so quit rates, r- record highs, you know, job shortages continue, great American burnout, lots, lots of different names. We got the great resignation. We got the great American burnout. We have you know, quit rates, millions of job shortages, amusement parks, restaurants, hotels, hospitality. Just this morning, I didn't get a chance to add them to the slides, but just this morning, I we're again, regionally trying to find workers in Cincinnati, trying to find workers in Cape Cod, healthcare shortages, water parks can't hire enough people, cemeteries can't hire enough people, the lawns and the manicuring around the grave sites is now being handled by family because they're having to get there. Retail, health, and I mentioned healthcare before, engineering, the trades was just a report yesterday that came out, I believe it was MRI Network, uh, and they anticipated 435,000 jobs, job openings currently in construction in 2021. And by 2022, it's going to be a million more workers are needed to fill those jobs in the trades. And there are no people trees, no place that they're coming from. Uh, so just but, think pic- pictures shall have worth a thousand words. And so I wanted to show some of the information that was just revealed in the June stats. So for the first slide, let's talk about the, the gap, the, the number of job openings. I think this is slide three. I think that's the correct one there. Yep, that's it. Thank you, Roxy. So this is the most challenging hiring environment anywhere. And again, this this data is from Snag a Job. They pulled it from a Bureau of Labor Statistics. You look to the far right and you see the number of job openings to the number of hires. Number of job openings is about 1.5 for every hire that's made. So there's many more job openings. Now this is regionally affected. It's industry affected. I've seen this number as high as three job openings for every hire in some other in some areas areas in some regions it's down to one but regardless of what it is there it, it's very very challenging so you know this is this is putting visual to the words you hear there literally are more people looking for jobs employers looking for people than there are hires and there's a couple reasons that we'll get into with this on top of more job openings that's also created surge in in quit rates so the quit rate has just gone up I think uh, Roxy, that my notes here too. Voluntary turnover. I think that's slide four. You can pull that up. 
Let's see. That's labor participation. So you got that one up. Let's talk about labor participation. Simultaneously, and this has been a trend for the last 20 years, labor participation has been creeping down. In the 70s, 80s, and 90s, it certainly crept up because baby boomers came into the workforce. And then there was a surge of women in the workplace. Women were no longer just staying at home. Women now had dual wage earners, women doing more than housekeeping jobs and and staying and stay-at-home moms. Or certainly that was in effect, but women uh, entered the workplace. They went from a participation rate in the 30s, 30% to almost 60%. And now in many cases, it's higher than male. Male participation rates have been declining for the years. But prior to, you know, so this isn't just a COVID thing. This isn't just a blip. The labor participation rate as our demographics have been aging, the baby boomers are retiring and, you know, how the fact what our economy looks like, labor participation rate has decreased, which means that there are people available. They're just not working or they're not working full-time jobs or they're not, they're working seasonally. There's a lot of reasons that this number can be skewed downward. But the reality is, is there's just fewer people working as a percentage of the total population. I think the next slide will take us to the quit rate. So not only do we have these job openings, we have voluntary turnover, highest on record. The, a lot of it was pent-up demand. A lot of people last year probably kept their jobs, maybe through PPP, the payroll protection. Maybe they were working, they were thinking of leaving, but you know, obviously the environment was a little different. Uh, where they were working might have been a safe place or they didn't want to travel, they didn't want to commute. So there were a lot of reasons why people stayed in their jobs. And so there's both a pent up demand, but we also have been seeing, as you can see from the graph here, that there's been a gradual increase, you know, over time as well. And then uh, finally, the is, is what couple suggestions that were made? What do you do with all this information? Where, you know, what can companies do? So this might be labeled seven, Roxy. But one of the suggestions could be, there we are. Uh, so there's no question that employee referrals is is the best source of candidates. Now, one of the downsides of that is people refer people like themselves, and you hope that the good employees are referring other quality people who have the skills. But again, looking at employee rewards, creating a program, it's more than just dangling a paycheck or coupons or discounts or, or whatever you're doing. Really think out that program and maybe talk to your employees. What, do, what would they find valuable? A lot of time management and HR comes up, you know, they, they see an idea and and they, they just put it out there. And yet maybe your population's a little bit different. But what, what would your employees value as a reward? You know, maybe it's not monetary. Maybe it's an extra day, you know, a day off. Maybe it's, uh, you know, a little bit more flexibility. What would, what would they value anywhere funny to, you know, as I said, time off or anything in between. So look at that. Next part is, and again, you know, I talk about this a lot in, in my programs, in my webinars, in my book, uh, talk about you need to reach millennials and Gen Z. A lot of programs are still analog. A lot of programs are paper driven or they're very bureaucratic. Things need to be mobile ready. They need to be available. They need to be fast. You really need to, to, take your messaging and your communication to a, to a digital approach. Actually, if you can put that one back up in second there. And you also need to speed up the whole process. You know, 78% of, of people accept an offer within one week. We talked with Lisa just a few minutes ago, and, and she had mentioned that, uh, again, if somebody shows up for an interview, they're often offered or often presented the job offer right on the spot if they're qualified. 
And uh, so companies that are dragging their feet are just losing out on talent. And and then competitive salary is still wage inequality, huge wage inequality. It's not what the prevailing, it's not what the minimum wage is or that you increased it. If you're paying $12 an hour and your competitors are paying 16 prevailing wage in your area for a similar job, or even for the job market, you're going to have to increase the prevailing wage, not just increase your amount unless you have some extraordinary other benefit. So these are just a few ideas. And I share these I thank uh, Job uh, Snag a Job for allowing or introducing those for sharing those. And if anybody's interested, I'm happy to uh, send you the link to the uh, video that's with that. In closing, there's two events that I have that relate to everything I just talked about and more. One is I have a new webinar that's the end of the month. And you can click on that. It's called the Reimagining Your Tomorrow, How to Adapt and Grow in an FCDD World. FCDD, if you recall, mentioned that many times in the past, is frustrating, confusing, disappointing, and distracting. How do you how do you unf your environment, your your job, your career. So that is scheduled for, I believe it's July 27th. You can go up to successperformancesolutions.com. Right at the top, there's a button to click for more information and to register for that. And then the second webinar is scheduled for August, and it's called Your Playbook for Recruiting in the Age of Googleization. This will be participative, and there is a fee for it, but if you purchase my book, whether you purchase it from my site, which is Best Age hrbook.com. That's besthrbook.com. Or you go to Amazon. You're a member of Amazon. You can get a Prime. Uh, it's available there. But if you send me the receipt, if you've purchased my book and you have it, I will send you, I will register you for free for your playbook in your playbook for recruiting in the age of Googleization. That's a mouthful. So two new webinars coming up your playbook for recruiting in the age of Googleization and reimagine your tomorrow. Please check those out. You can get them both up on, on the website and also subscribe to Googleization Nation and there'll be updates weekly. I send out updates of upcoming events and, uh, and offers from our, uh, you know, other, our sponsors and offers from oftentimes from our guests on the show. I want to thank everybody for listening or being in the audience. We have a growing participation growing audience. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. If you're not, please go to googleizationnation.com, become a subscriber. Thank you for listening to Geek Skeezers, Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We are on YouTube, Facebook, Talk4 TV. And if you're interested in the in the podcast, we're on many, many podcasts, Audible, Apple, Google, you name it, we're probably there. Please leave a review if you can. Please rate the show if you can. That helps grow our audience. Until next week, don't let the shift hit your plans.